Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It's time for Lickin' On Lending. Welcome, everybody. Good to have you with us. Welcome to Lickin' On Lending, a weekly mortgage market update providing up-to-the-minute information on interest rates, loan programs, and hot industry news, all related to the mortgage industry. Brought to you by Transformational Mortgage Solutions. To participate in today's program, our guest call-in line is 646-716-4972. And now here's your host of Lickin' On Lending, David Lickin'. Let's begin. Welcome to the Hot Topics segment of Lickin' On Lending. It is April 27th, if you're listening to this. On a downloaded basis, you're going to want to stay tuned and listen all the way through this. We've got as our special guest today, Dan Habib, Senior Vice President, Co-Founder of MBS Highway. And what we're going to be talking about, very important hot topics. We've already touched about them on our mortgage update. For those of you listening live, you just heard it. If you did not listen to it, go back and listen to the previous podcast. And we talked a lot about, we touched on aspects of this, but we're going to dive deeper into forbearance, the Fed, and the future of housing. Dan has been in the mortgage industry for 16 years. I would say it's been longer because he is the son of Barry Habib. So I would suggest as old as Dan is, is how long he's been in the mortgage industry. He's a sought-after speaker. He has got extensive knowledge in the mortgage and real estate markets. Dan, good to have you here. Appreciate it. David, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, certainly some big shoes to fill with Barry, but um, certainly uh, doing my best like you with your father to make my own name out there. And, and I love how he just he looks at you in just such an affectionate way, and, and it's just such a good father-son relationship that you two have. We do a father-son interview, and uh, we've done some really fun ones in the past. We need to get one of you and Barry on that one for, for this year. I just thought about that. So let's get in talking about some of the things that are going on in the marketplace. There's nothing that's a bigger issue, Dan, than forbearance. But I just want, before we go there, I want to give again a plug for MBS Highway. Go check it out. Many of you use it already. If you haven't, you can go check it out by going to mbshighway.com. The thing that I look at is the morning update and the afternoon update. It's a real good video summary of what's going on. And then also, Barry and Dan have done a great job of publishing some great information about what was going on, explaining what's going on. And the one that you did on forbearance and talking about so many aspects of it has went viral. I think everybody in the industry read that, Dan. So kudos to how you and your dad, Barry, are communicating the industry, explaining some of the more complex things. So let's get into talking about forbearance. What is the issue from your perspective here? Give us your thoughts. Thanks for that, David. And, and yeah, that, that piece uh, was on forbearance, but also we got into some of the stuff that the Fed was doing and some of the unintended yes. consequences of trying to support the mortgage industry and buying mortgage-backed securities, but the issue is they were buying too much too fast. Too and much, yeah. Because, of the way, yeah. because of the way it works with you know, companies out there, you know, when you lock in a loan, they have to protect themselves from rates moving, so they do some hedging. And because the Fed bought 650 basis points that made mortgage bonds go up in like four days, 
they bought so much. Yeah. They were so upside down on these shorts that it was causing some crazy margin calls for companies where they were getting 10, 30 million dollars like a week in uh, margin calls. And they were like, oh man, we're not going to be able to last much longer at this pace. So this article really got in front of the Fed. A lot of people give us a lot of credit for, for kind of bringing this to their attention. And they did cut back on their purchases. And I have to commend the Fed because they've been buying yeah, really did. what I like to call like a Goldilocks amount of mortgage-backed securities. And really since March 30th, <laughs> if you take a look at where mortgage-backed security prices were then to now, it's pretty flat. So they've done a good job in, in reducing that and buying the right amount. But let's let's get into forbearance a little bit deeper here. I want to just say you had some great guests on today. Alice, as well as the MBA update that you had previous to her, they really did cover on a lot of the updates that we're seeing out there with forbearance. But you know, one of the things that I've found right now is so many people out there that have been in the industry for a long time, I think they're realizing how much they don't know about how the mortgage market and mortgage cycle works. So I wanted to actually just kind of take a little step back just for some of the viewers that may not be that familiar with it, may okay. not be that familiar with exactly how forbearance works. So, you know, as of a part of the CARES Act, homeowners with the mortgage can enter in forbearance where they don't have to pay their mortgage up to six months and then they can go ahead and reapply for up to another six months. And the latest data I'm seeing from Black Knight and the MBA is about 6.4% of mortgages out there are in forbearance. So that's 3.4 million loans. I actually think that's a little bit on the light side. I think that we'll see that number actually exponentially get a little higher as we get towards the end of the month. Because it's just human nature. People like to wait uh, before doing these kinds of things. You know, they're not usually proactive with this. But I think that number moves higher. But here's the problem with forbearance. I agree. Is that you know, there's, no, there's no proof of hardship. You really just have to call your servicer and tell them you're having a hard time and there's no proof of it. And the problem is, is the education has been very poor. So mm -hmm. people think that it's like free money. They think forbearance is forgiveness. And they're like, you know what, I'm going to kind of game the system a little bit here. Some people want to hoard cash. And the thing that they're not realizing is, is that, number one, you have to pay this back. Now, Alice explained this a little bit before, and it's a little unclear. I think part of it depends on the program, the servicer. But you, know, you can pay it in a lump sum, but you don't have to. You, know, you could do things like do a loan modification. You could set up a payment plan. I've heard things that it could be treated as a second lien on the home. But regardless, it's not being forgiven. It has to be paid back. So there's no actual financial benefit. Now, listen, if you can't pay your mortgage, of course, this is a great program for you if you need it. But people that right. don't truly need it, it's not going to help you. And they say that it's not going to be negatively impacting your credit. But I got to tell you, I've looked at some credit scores where it shows someone entering in forbearance and it very clearly says that the loan is in forbearance. Now it doesn't have like a missed payment or a late payment or derogatory mark on there, but you got to imagine that credit companies that are looking at your credit report, you know, <laughs> when they look at this, I mean, you'd have to agree that you're, you're more risky if you enter in forbearance than someone that didn't. So you wonder if somehow that doesn't negatively impact you. It's got to. But yeah, I agree with you. But let's talk about the impact on servicers, right? Because that's really the big issue that we've been hearing about in this liquidity issue. So I think it's important to understand the mortgage cycle first, right? So companies, they don't typically hold a mortgage. And the reason why is because of interest rate risk. So, David, let's just pretend that I lent you just this is an oversimplification. But if I lend you $100,000 and charge your rate of 4%, well, you pay me $4,000 a year in interest. What happens if rates in the going market went up to 8%? Would that loan still be worth $100,000 today? And the answer is no, because a $50,000 loan would pay that same $4,000 a year at 8%. So 
the loan would literally be worth half as much today. Now, imagine if you're a mortgage company and you got $2 billion in mortgages, you, know, you can't just lose a billion dollars if rates were to, let's say, move higher like that. And again, this is an oversimplification. So because of that, the risk of a mortgage is typically passed along, right? So the borrower goes to the mortgage originator, the originator puts the loan through their mortgage company or the bank who funds the loan. The company then can service the loan themselves, or maybe if they don't do servicing, they sell it to a servicer. And then the servicer sells it to an investor like Fannie and Freddie. But the key point here is, is that the servicer has to advance principal interest taxes and insurance. And this is what some of the other guests were talking about, where you know, they did come out and say that they're limiting that to four months. Um, but right. before we get a little deeper on that, the investor then sells this to Wall Street. Fannie and Freddie will bundle these things into mortgage-backed securities into pools, and Wall Street will then sell it back to us, actually. You wonder who assumes the risk of this. Well, if you take a look in your IRAs, your 401ks, mutual funds, we all assume the risk. So it's kind of one big cycle. So the issue is this, is that if somebody defaults on the first, if they have a first payment default, so they don't make their first mortgage payment, and they enter forbearance, well, the loan wasn't saleable. So that means that the server was stuck with this loan. And if they're stuck with this loan and they can't sell it, well, ties up their capital, their ability to lend. So the FHFA, right, which is the body that oversees the Fannie and Freddie and is headed by Mark Calabria, who's kind of like public enemy number one right now in the mortgage industry almost <laughs> because so, yeah. he really hasn't been much of a help, right? So he refused to provide a facility. Much like, but, you know, Ginny does have a facility for FHFA, they do, uh, VA, yeah. USDA loans, so they have one. So, you know, it's a PFAP wonder why program. we can't set up one. Exactly. So it's a wonder why you can't have one uh, for Fannie and Freddie loans. But, you know, some people are, are hoping the Fed comes in. We haven't seen any signs of that yet. And, you know, Calabria then came out and he said, well, listen, you know, the servicer, if they're having liquidity issues, then we'll take the servicing away from them. Well, thanks a lot, Mark. I mean, that doesn't really, yeah, yeah a lot of companies rely on that income, right? So, so that doesn't really help us, right? And then they did limit, what I heard is that they limited, and by the way, I got to give credit to David Stevens because uh, he's been a really great resource out there and he's been really giving us kind of a lot of frontline information too. So I want to just give him a shout out. A great guy as well. But yep. um, uh, what, I, what I've seen is that the principal and interest is, is going to be reduced four months, but I saw that they still actually have to front the taxes and insurance, the servicers. So it's just a principal that is limited now to four months. As far as saleability, well, if you're in first payment default, now they'll buy loans if they are owner-occupied purchases and if it's rate and term refinances. So cash out refinances, uh, they won't let you buy if it's in a first payment default. Now, Alice and, and, and uh, really covered this nicely, but it's 500 basis point extra fee they're going to hit you with if it's a first-time home buyer or 700 basis points if it's not to buy that loan that's in that first payment default. But let's just take a look at some of the math on this, right? So it can vary, but on average, a company makes about 64 basis points per loan. So let's just say we're looking at a $300,000 loan. Well, the company would make about $1,900 on that transaction, but if they got hit with a 700 basis point fee, they'd have to pay $21,000. Obviously, <laughs> the economics don't make sense. And it's right. So once again, thanks a lot, Mark, right? I mean, this doesn't help. I think in the end, it's going to end up hurting the consumer. So first of all, we're already seeing loan programs kind of go away a little bit, um, tighten guidelines. But here's one of the things that we were talking with David Stevens about that was interesting, where you know a company may actually hold on to the loan before selling it to make sure that this customer doesn't go into a first payment default and they don't you know, not make their first payment. 
Now, if they were to do that and they don't sell it to Fannie and Freddie, believe it or not, it's not eligible for forbearance. So the company could actually then screw the customer and they could do things like start foreclosure proceedings if they don't make this first payment. So I've heard some things that this could happen. Also, the other thing they can do is this, is listen, a certain percentage of their loans are going to maybe have this issue where they're going to have this extra 700 basis point fee. So what could a company do to protect themselves? Well, they can charge a higher rate across all their loans because they don't know which ones this is going to happen to. And maybe, you know, rates are just going to be a little bit higher, uh, maybe like an eighth to a quarter to cover the cost that might be associated with that. So overall, at the end of the day, I think the consumer is going to be hurt by this. Now, listen, I want to just say that this is helping a bit. Right. I mean, it's not the help we were looking for, but the limit on the on the four months is helping servicers. So, you know, we're going to get through this time. There's going to be some bumps yeah. on the road and, and more yeah. mortgage companies are going to survive this. And this is yeah. some help, but they could do so much more. Yeah. So let's get in. We're getting questions in from listeners already. I have some questions. Uh, great job in kind of summarizing kind of what's going on. One of the questions is on Calabria. A lot of focus, like you said, for some, he's public enemy number one within the mortgage industry. Understandably so, forgot what's going on. But it, in your discussions with David Stevens and other interviews that you've been doing, do you have any consensus of what is a motive behind this? Several of text messages that I'm getting in right now. If you want to text me with your questions, folks, text me to 512-632-2900. Also, you can send them in a LinkedIn message. One of the questions came in, or actually several, but the basic theme is, is Collabora basically saying we don't want little guys selling direct to the agencies? Do you have any thoughts on that from your interviews you've yeah. been doing? So, so there's definitely uh, some thoughts on that, and, and I, I don't want to necessarily get into that specifically, but I have heard people say, that they do think that this is almost like a plan of his to, to get these smaller services out of the game. You know, I do think that he just, he's got his viewpoints very specific where he doesn't believe in, he believes in letting the market kind of sort things out. He doesn't believe in bailouts. You know, he doesn't, he doesn't gotcha. think any non-bank yep. is too big. He doesn't believe any non-bank is too big to, to fail. But, you know, the problem is this, is that it just doesn't coincide with what we're seeing in the rest of the economy. So when you take a look at Treasury Secretary Mnuchin, you take a look at the Fed, what have they been saying or what have they been doing? We are going to throw as much money at this to help reduce the <laughs> exactly pain. Right. And it seems like they're doing this all over the economy in everything, it seems, except why yeah, they create a facility? For the, listen, yeah. they're going to get made whole eventually anyway. It's just providing that bridge where the service I know, are, you know, I know, have, I know. It doesn't make sense to me. There's so, almost like there's an asterisk in there. Uh, we're going to bail out everything and everybody, uh, except for independent mortgage bankers who are going to be thinly capitalized. Some, but, but also this has a big impact on the big ones. We watched, I watched an interview, uh, a focus, as I'm sure Barry was, and you were uh, talking to the Fox producers. Um, I'm a regular on there, so I'm putting articles over to him. You guys got to talk about this. So they had the, the chairman of uh, Mr. Cooper on and talking about the consequences even to some of the bigger companies. So this is across all the companies. It, it's really predicated upon the size of your portfolio because it can have an impact. And that's a great example on the 64 basis points, $1,900, $21,000 potential hit. That just, those economics don't work. But I want to shift over and start talking about the feds. But before we do, Alice, any questions that you have or thoughts that you have for Dan? Yeah, hi, Dan. Well, thanks uh, Thanks for all the insight. I would really love to ask you that same question Dave asked me. You know, do you think it's the right place for LOs to be 
coaching or talking to borrowers about this, you know, and, and to what extent they should be knowledgeable of this on the front line? Yeah, so, you know, I think that it's important for them to educate the first point that I made where I think they need to educate that, listen, forbearance isn't forgiveness. It could potentially have some negative impacts on your credit. And listen, if this is, should be a last resort. It shouldn't be something looked at like maybe I can just, you know, take advantage of this and I won't have to make payments. And I think by and large, the education was very poor. So I would educate that as far as the specifics. I, I tend to think that you're right as far as there's, it seems to me that it's almost hard to find concrete answers. There's a lot of unknowns out there as to this forbearance periods over. In what way do you have to pay this back? You know, Calabria came out recently and said that it doesn't have to be a lump sum. At first, it was thought it had to be a lump sum. But, you know, now I'm seeing you could do loan mods. Yeah, I heard that it could be treated as a second lien on the home. But I don't know if it's, it's smart to get too deep into that. But I just think it's important to just educate that this is something really meant for a last resort. And listen, if you can't pay your mortgage, by all means, you should go ahead and do this. But if you can, it's not, you're not gaming the system. You're not getting any benefit. I wouldn't go much deeper than that. I don't yeah, that makes yeah. sense. I think, uh, I think we're all, you know, on the same page there because it just, you run into so much potential liability. You want to be informative, right? None of us like to say to somebody, oh, you know, I don't know. You want to give them something. So you can give them that, you know, give them the basics. Yeah. That's great. I, I would point everybody to the webinar that uh, the MBA had last Wednesday, and I had the privilege of being uh, sitting in and listening in on that. And it was the forbearance and COVID nineteen. What servicers need to know, and I want to tell you, they Dan, they were speaking at a mile a minute trying to get through all the information, and even then, as much information they covered in one hour. It, it scratched the surface of all the what if, what if, and scenarios. So I, I think there's just a tremendous amount of clarity that's needed. I don't think we're going to get it, quite honestly, which I think was the reason why they were com- communicating. Uh, the, the, on, a, on a point, I should say that one company that was uh, that I'm working with, that was who had told the loan officers. They have developed a really great relationship with their consumers, and they felt sharing with their consumers the damage, not specifics, not saying into 700 or 500 basis points or getting into the economics. They said this could, this could be a devastating to us, and they explained it. And so they asked the consumer, communicated the consumer before they sold the loan to please make every effort, if there's any reason they can't, get a hold of the servicer or get a hold of them. And uh, so that I want to put some clarity around that. So, uh, Joe, uh, let's get to you first, then we'll get over to Alan. Joe, any questions? Well, we've talked about conventional conforming loans that go into an early forbearance and the penalty, you know, if, it, if they go there before they're purchased. What happens to FHA and VA loans? You know, that's a good question. I'm not certain on that, to be honest with you. You know, I know that they do have a liquidity set up that's there for parts of this, but that's a great question on that. And uh, it's kind of like everyone's been focused on what Collabra is and or isn't doing for the conventional part of the market. That's a great question, Joe. We need to get some clarity on that. Great right. question. I don't know that there's – I haven't heard anyone even talking about it, Dan, out there on that. I, I haven't uh, either. It is a great question. It's definitely something I'm going to look into as well. But, yeah, I've, I've, there's been so much focus on, on Fannie and Freddie and, and the FHFA, and you yeah, haven't heard much on that. Joe, any other questions before I run over to Alan? No, no, no. So you asked the one question that stumped both uh, the panelists, regulars, and our guests. That's a good one, Joe. I don't think we've had that happen in our 10 years that we've stumped, the, we've stumped everybody. Alan, good to have you here with us. Let's see again. What you got as questions for Dan on that relate to forbearance 
and possibly Calabria. Yeah, Dan, uh, thanks for uh, joining us today, by the way, and good to chat with you. Thank you. So, yeah, my my question, I'm going to go a little off book. So, David, don't shoot me just yet. But, you know, my, my question <laughs> I'm is... I'm already cringing. All right. <laughs> yeah. And, I, Dan, I, I don't want to yeah. send you um, to a point where you're making a recommendation, but what do you think lenders will, should be focusing on when this is all over, right? So, I mean, there's enough commentary yeah. about where we're at. What, what, what do you think is up and coming, um, if you can give an opinion? You know, I just think that, that they're going to try to protect themselves. They're gonna, things are going to be a little bit stricter. I think that at the, at the end, the consumer is going to suffer a little bit because of it. I think that you're already seeing, you know, different overlays. You're seeing, you know, raised credit scores. You're seeing um, programs that are going away. I, I think that you're going to see a combination of all those things. Yeah, we just got one of our one of our listeners or one of Alan's friends just texted me and said, uh, uh, "Don't be sorry, don't cringe." Alan always asks good questions. That, I mean, I think that is. It's looking forward. I think we're so myopically focused on the intense consequence of what's going on right now. It's it's a great question to where where are things going? What should we look at down the road? Let's get through this and we'll start focusing more on that. We are actually seeing some podcasts sure. showing up and some webinars showing up on it, Alan, so what we see the future. One thing is for certain, electronic everything, e-mortgages, e-closings, e-everything related to the mortgage is going to be the mission number one across the board with everybody. I'm pretty sure that. And I think greater greater amount of technology. So, Alan, your segment's going to even get more and more attention. I don't know how much time we have left, but I wanted to just touch We're on good. the future of interest rates and, and housing there. That's um, where I wanted so, to go next. You know, obviously right now rates are you know, at historically really great levels. We think that rates are going to remain low. And one of the things you look at historically and, and, and you know, all across the world is, is that typically when countries have really increased debt levels, that has a downward pressure on interest rates. So uh, we do think that rates are going to remain really low. The only thing that you have to worry about would be is if the U.S. started printing money, which we don't think they're going to do. Now, a lot of people say, well, isn't the U.S. already printing money? And the answer is no. Uh, there's a corresponding debt instrument. You know, when the U.S. is raising all this different stimulus and going into debt, they're selling, you know, either treasury bills or bonds or notes, right? So there's a corresponding debt instrument on the ledger per se. But, you know, some, some countries in the past, they have just printed money and it's caused like hyperinflation and all kinds of issues. Now, Interestingly, the UK actually said they wanted to give a little bit of a break to their debt system there, and they said that they were going to, in a very controlled way, start printing a little bit of money, which is a scary thing. You hope that other countries don't follow suit there. Uh, but that's something that's interesting. But we think rates are going to remain really low for a long period of time. Now, we, you know, I don't think you'll ever see a 6% interest rate in, in, in your lifetime. But um, when we take a look at housing, you know, housing before this COVID crisis, housing was very much the bright spot of the economy. We were at 13-year highs on all the different sales figures out there. We were seeing appreciation between 5 and 6% with really strong forecasts. And the dynamics were really, really strong with housing. So what I mean by that is, is you had much stronger demand than supply out there. It wasn't uncommon that you were getting multiple offers and, and, and getting outbid on homes. So is housing going to take a little bit of a hit because of this? Of course, I think it has to. And it's because of the lack of demand. You know, I think obviously unemployment is going to have a big part of that. And we estimate that the unemployment rate is right around 18.5%. We've done some research and based on the new number of 
claims that we've been seeing each week, people filing for unemployment benefits for the first time, uh, as well as you know, some, some numbers on how many people maybe are coming back to work, um, you know, just partly in, in part to just coming back. It also maybe due to some of the PPP loans going out there. We think it's right around 18.5%. So, listen, obviously the last thing you need to do if you lost your job is, is, is buy a home. And, you know, there's also a lack of homes being listed a little bit now, too, because, you know, who wants people tracing through their homes? But I do think that housing is going to very much have an opportunity to maybe lead the recovery. And I think that Good. the dynamics – I think you'll see the dynamics come back to where they were before, meaning demand's going to have to come before supply. You're not going to see people putting homes up on the market, builders uh, like building homes and seeing like supply out there without having the demand there first, right? So I think that you're going to see really strong demand when we come out of this thing. And I think housing is going to continue to do well, but it is going to have, you know, depending on how long this goes on, a little bit of a lull. Listen, housing is typically a long-term investment, right? It's not typically a short-term one for most people. So the one-year appreciation may take a little bit of a hit when we look on like a forecast for one year, but there is a lot of cushion that we've built up. When you take a look, when we were just looking at year-over-year figures, just as of last week, we got some numbers from the FHFA house price index, and that showed that home prices were up 5.7% year-over-year. So we're going to definitely see that year of your number get eaten into, but it might not even, I might, I might see that being eaten into maybe by 4% or so to 5% for one year, but it might not even really turn negative because we built up so much cushion and we've had such housing market prior to this. Now, when we take a look at like the mortgage industry as a whole, you know, I think refinances are going to remain really, really strong. If we do mm-hmm. some quick math here, right, there's about $11 trillion of mortgages in the U.S., of which people are estimating, because rates are low and, and they're expected to remain low, $6 trillion are eligible for a refinance. Now, if we look at like a good year in mortgages, $1.5 trillion is a great year for refinances. $2 trillion is mortgage professionals are out of their minds busy. So as long as rates remain low, you know, $6 trillion in eligible refinances means that we have a ton of business for several years, you know, even if purchase business does take a little bit of a slump. So I think that overall, we're going to be okay. We're going to be good. And, and listen, if you talk, take a look at where you can do it, there's also a big opportunity in cash out refis because there's roughly 128 households. The homeownership rate is 64% approximately. So 40% of people own their home free and clear. And 50 million have a mortgage with an average LTV of 53. You know, CoreLogic came out and they said that they estimate that people have $177,000 of equity in their homes. So there's a lot of opportunity where you can, because I know some situations you may not be able to anymore, but where you can, you can pull out equity, pay off debts, especially now where you want to come cash flow for some people that might be worried, maybe give them some cash as a security blanket. And then what you can do is, is hey, after you get through this period, that savings that they're getting each month from consolidating this debt, apply that towards the principal, pay down that mortgage and accelerate it to, you know, save years on your mortgage and create wealth by doing that as well. So uh, I do think there's an opportunity for that where you can do it. But companies that I talk to, I mean, I'm talking to mortgage companies all the time. Listen, there's definitely some bumps in the road. I think it's important at this time to really work as a team with your company. You know, I think it's more important than ever for the LOs and, and, and management at a company to really be kind of working together and having each other's back. But I do think that some companies are doing really great right now. I'm not going to mention names, but some, some of our larger companies um, are telling us that they have record closings potentially in April. So listen, there's still business to be had out there. I think one of the best ways for mortgage professionals 
to do so and to get business is to just make sure you're present on social media. I know people say it all the time, but the people I talk to that are doing really, really big numbers and, and some having their biggest months ever are creating engaging social media videos. And listen, you can't just do one once in a blue moon. You've got to be doing these things on like a weekly basis, and you have to. And there's so much to talk about right now. There is and, 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 and I think a good point right on that point is if you don't want to create the content, then take content created by MBS Highway and forward that on. Make it that apart. You know, just do an intro and then attach it and go on with that. Uh, I think that's a, another way to do it is just you, you well, don't have to be the one creating all the content. You use what you, you guys do. Well, that, that's, that's a great point, and thank you for bringing that up, David. And, and really, uh, we try to make it easy. We've actually developed a pretty cool tool within MBS Highway where we turn your computer into a scrolling teleprompter, and we capture your webcam, and we give you these great scripts. And we do a good job, I think, of taking some of this complicated stuff and making it easy to understand and to digest. Mm -hmm. But then we position you as the educator. And listen, once you, especially if you're educating during these times, I think that's going to transcend to, you know, well beyond this. You know, I think it's important to be educating people and you'll get a lot of engagement and hits. And I'm sure you'll do a lot more business if you're doing this, but it'll transcend after this. And I think you'll build a lot of goodwill, too. People can go find out all the resources that you have there by getting on the phone with you, Dan, or any of your salespeople going to mbshighway.com and checking it out. It's what I'd recommend. Some great resources there. Any parting comments as far as the interest rates? Uh, you guys are great at forecasting it. Your dad's renowned at it. And so are you guys anticipating interest rates staying the same, dropping back slightly, going higher? What's your, what you guys uh, think? We, we think interest rates are going to remain pretty stable. I think they're going to remain attractive. You know, one thing to, to look for is what the Fed's doing. And, uh, and one of your speakers earlier had touched on this a little bit where, you know, the Fed has been buying, a lot, still buying a lot. Um, mm -hmm. You know, this week, they're, they're going to average about between seven and eight billion dollars a day in mortgage backed securities. So they're absorbing a lot of the supply out there in the mortgage bond market. That's going to you know, help to keep rates and, and mortgage backed security prices stable. Now, one thing you have to watch is that they're, they're already starting to take the training wheels off per se, right? So they were yeah. buying... You know, last month, at one point, they were buying $30 billion a day to stabilize the market, right? And then last week, they cut it down to, you know, a little bit over like $10 billion a day. The week before that, it was like $15 billion a day. So as they continue to, you know, take the training wheels off more and buy less and less and less, because they're going to eventually, you know, roll this out uh, where, where they stop, I think that you'll see, you know, it's something you have to just watch closely, because you could see a little bit of turbulence, because you're not going to have the support of the Fed in there anymore. But I just think overall, because of all the debt, um, that we're seeing out there, which has a negative, a downward pressure on rates. I think rates are just going to remain very attractive. Now, listen, customers also have to know that, you know, sometimes, and, and, and mortgage professionals have to know that, hey, listen, sometimes you're not going to see that exact correlation that you, you know, are used to seeing with mortgage-backed security pricing and the actual rates you can offer, right? Because, you know, certain companies are, are dealing with certain things, you know, compression, they're, they're uh, maybe having capacity issues, right? So, you know, sometimes you see mortgage-backed security prices improve and, and you're maybe not getting that benefit that you would see from your company. So there is some stuff like that going on a little bit. But I think that as we kind of get through this time and, and as capacity gets a little bit better, I think that you're going to start to see the correlation back a little bit. And I do think that rates just overall are going to remain very, very low for a long period of time. 
Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely in that camp. And I think with millennials uh, and Gen Zers get back in the market, we're going to see a raging housing market. I'm very, very bullish long-term on housing. I think it may take a little while. We may have a little dip, but I'm not much in the dip camp. I'm more of a, this is going to stay steady and explode to the upside, I think, it, uh, as soon as we get the other side of it is what I'm thinking. So, But you guys are doing a much better job forecasting than I am. We just talk about it. Alice or uh, Joe, any last-minute questions you have for um, for Dan? Alice? I uh, actually you just touched on it at the end there when you were uh, walking through the, the housing discussion. Uh, you know, I, I, it, that's what with Wells Fargo pulling out of cash out refis, that seemed to be a sign. I mean, there could be many reasons, right? But one of the layers may be that they had concerned about pressure on housing values and that customers may not, you know, have the equity that they think they have down the road because cash out refis were such a problem in the last meltdown. Yeah, the only thing with that is, is I think there's a lot of cushion there, though. One of the staffs that I've thrown out before was that the average you know, homeowner with a mortgage has $177,000 in equity. So they do have a lot of cushion there in case uh, they do lose a little bit of home value. So I, I think that will work in their favor. Good question, Alice, or good commentary, question, follow-on question. I, I really think we're going to see property values stabilize. I mean, I'm not getting what they're doing. There are a lot of smart people at Wells Fargo, and, and even you guys do very smart on how I'm projecting, but I just don't I don't see much of a drop. I think there's just too much demand. Supply and demand is going to keep this thing going strong is my two cents on it. Uh, Joe, you want any parting questions as we get ready to exit out of this today? Okay. Uh it seems as though there is, as you mentioned, Dan, that there is a disconnect somewhat between MBS prices and mortgage rates, and, and therefore there is a built-in sort of premium in the rate that the borrower is paying right now. That serves as a bit of a cushion in and of itself, right, in that uh, MBS prices could move lower, meaning yield rise, somewhat without the borrower having to see much of that if the markets begin to operate uh, as they should. Yeah, it it depends. I think it's it's very kind of you know lender specific to be honest because you know as we're monitoring this stuff, uh, I, I hear from our customers from from different companies that start saying you know mortgage backed security prices haven't moved and I just got worse rates. You know what's going on? Why why is this happening to me? So mm-hmm. there's some definitely uh, some unique things going on from from lender to lender. But I think you're right, and and you know I do think that there was a little cushion built in there because. Listen, there's a little bit more risk right now. Uh, they have to they have to kind of factor that in there. But overall, I think that we'll see rates remain very attractive. That is good for us, good for the listeners, and good to the years of anyone mortgage involved in the mortgage industry at any point in time. Thank you, Dan, so much for being here. Again, for the resources that you have available, what's the best way for people to get a hold of you or anyone in your staff to learn more about all that you have available? Thank you for that. Um, just mbshighway.com is our site, but if you want to contact with me, if you have any questions that we didn't have time to go over or you, you wanted to go a little deeper, my email is dan at mbshighway.com. And I do want to do something special. You know, if you're listening to this call, uh, if you call us, if you email me, again, it's dan at mbshighway.com, and you're interested in finding out more or joining us with MBS Highway, you are going to get this kind of information every day. You'll get Barry and myself doing a video every morning, really breaking it down. But if you mention uh, Lickin podcast here that we're on today, there is going to be a special discount for you that's going to be quite significant. Oh, fantastic. We didn't even talk about that. I do appreciate that very much. Also want to give a plug for uh, Barry's book, Money in the Streets. 
It's a pre-order. You can get a pre-order copy of uh, Barry's book. I encourage you to go. You can learn more and get it at Amazon or at Barnes & Noble. Good. Can't wait to get that one and get caught up on it. Dan, thanks so much for being here with us. I appreciate you. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, be sure to greet uh, Barry and the whole family and all that you do there. So grateful for all the work that you're doing. Appreciate you guys. Folks, we've had as our guest Dan Habib, Senior Vice President, Co-Founder of MBS Highway. And uh, be sure to check out the special that he's offering us. Mention our name, Lick It on Lending Podcast, and you'll get a discount on at least a trial basis to get going. So appreciate you being here with us, Dan. Next week, we've got Dale Vermillion coming back on the program. We've had Dale guests. It's been way too long. I wanted to get Dale on because he's taught over 450 lenders and over 1 million loan officers. Uh, so anyway, it is uh, he has a systematic way of a value-based approach to sales customer service and management. He delivers results and has built lasting customer loyalty. So we're going to have Dale on talking about this. We used Dale at our last mortgage company that I owned. And I tell you, I can speak firsthand to the experience and the results that we got. It was outstanding. So bringing Dale Vermillion on next week. Don't want to miss that podcast. Tell others about it. I want to say a special thank you to our sponsors, the Mortgage Bankers Association of America, Finastra, Lenders One, the Mortgage Collaborative, the Community Mortgage Lenders of America, Indicom, Incelerate, Ainsworth Advisors, AI Assist, Celebrity Home Loans, Knowledge Coop, Mobility RE, Modex, Velma, VendorServe, Vidyard, Special thank you to Alice, Andy, Allen, and Joe for them being here and making this podcast possible each and every week. Have a great week, everybody. Look forward to having you back here next week. You've been listening to Lickin' on Lending, a weekly mortgage market update with your host, David Lickin of Transformational Mortgage Solutions. Join us next week, and thanks for listening. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.